Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What's up, Micah man? I'm chilling, Stevie Stacks, on this halfway beautiful, sunny Texas day. Halfway beautiful. (laughs) Clouds in the sky. It's halfway beautiful. It's always a beautiful beautiful day when we're above the dirt, I reckon. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Yes, so this is episode 246 of your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, short-term, mid-term, long-term rental podcast in the world, coming at you from Arlington, Texas, and Fort Worth, Texas. Yes, sir. Let's go. And we have a special guest today, Miss Precious Price. Who's that, you ask? Well, let me pull up her bio and tell you. Precious Price is a business consultant and innovative housing advocate. Say that five times real fast. In 2019, Precious purchased her first investment property on the south side of Atlanta, This hobby quickly became a passion and later a full-time endeavor when she documented the process of designing, building, and renting a tiny house in her backyard. This series, titled Going Tiny, has garnered more than a quarter million views on YouTube and has become the springboard for the growth of a six-figure short-term rental portfolio. There's a bunch more, but we're going to dive into it. Welcome to the show, Precious. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank y'all for having me. This is going to be a good conversation. That is so cool. And I was talking about this with a, with a buddy of mine at work today. It's funny that he um he's getting into the whole Airbnb game. You know, he just got his first property a few months back. He's all excited. You know, the fresh first, yeah. you know, feeling he bought it. He bought a property in Shreveport and he's all excited. He's getting it booked out and he's just and he's, he's consuming every single video on YouTube podcasts or whatever and, and he's saying a lot of these people that he's following on youtube he said man they just you know they just started with their first property and they documented everything they filmed it and now they're getting like requests from netflix for a show it is so cool i get to watch their progress and i'm just like man that's such a great idea just to have a camera filming everything you're doing yes absolutely i'm, I'm a huge advocate for documenting your journey even if nobody is watching, document it for you. Um, and when you start documenting your journey, you're really able to, number one, like see themes throughout that journey. But also like once you start putting it out there, you don't have to have this this like goal. Of, oh, I'm going to go teach somebody something. Literally just document what you're doing, document telling your story. And from that, people will pull their lesson. You ain't even got to overthink it. Mm, I like that. And that's kind of like how me and <laughs> Micah started this when, when uh, you know, we, we met up at an investment group, little um, stock investment group uh, I had. And he told me about Airbnb. I was like blown away. I was like, dude, we need to record some podcast on this. And he was like, uh, what? <laughs> and so we ended up doing some podcasts because he started it. And then I got it. He got me into Airbnb and short term mm-hmm. rentals. And then um, what's cool about it, you know, we get to see where we came from and this documented it's there forever. Right. And that's, that's the cool part, but also um, I don't know about you. Uh, you still, if you still had your job while you're doing this, but you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people start noticing, Oh, he's the Airbnb guy. He's a short-term rental guy. He's the, you yeah. know, buying houses and they ask you a million questions. It's cool to say, Hey, you just go check out the podcast. It'll answer all your questions there. <laughs> yes. Yes. 100% because you find yourself answering the same questions all the time. Everybody has the same questions. 
That's why you got FAQs. That's why you got the, the intro episode. Like, it answers all of that. So I definitely, I agree. Like, being able to point them to a particular resource, like, hey, it's out there and it's free. I ain't even going to charge you for a consultation. Go check it out. <laughs> no. Now I have a question for you. So you said you're based out of Atlanta and you do, I think you said you run how many short terminals down there? I previously ran eight short-term rentals down there. I currently have zero short-term rentals now. My rentals are midterm. Mm. Oh, okay. Let's go. Yes. That's what people yes. hear. So like, okay, question. Did the regulations make you go midterm? And if so, well, how did you get into midterm? No, so I got into midterm because the market started shifting toward the end of, I mean, it was already shifting before then, but toward the end of 2021 is when I really started to notice how, how those market implications of were affecting not necessarily my portfolio, but the messages that I was receiving from people regarding my portfolio. So I started receiving messages from like single parents. I started receiving messages from local students and they're like, hey, I see you have these rentals. Um, I know you're doing like short-term Airbnb right now, but are you, is it possible for you to do a month to month? Is it possible for you to do some type of discount because I've just recently been displaced or my rent went up or I just cannot find any housing around my campus. And honestly, like it was a whirlwind of perfect timing as well, because that was right around the time where I was, again, we had those eight units, things were going really well, but it was a lot of overhead and just work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And then on top of that, I think it was also just like a little voice in my head just saying, you know, even though in, in many people's mind, right, like it could, it could be only eight units or it could be like, damn, you got eight units. Um, <laughs> but like, really, it was a matter of it started to, I guess, be a little voice in my head of like, OK, well, these are eight units that if I wasn't necessarily just trying to, you know, pad my pockets, people would have somewhere to live. Like somebody who needs it in the area, who needs to be closer, they would have some stable housing. And this is also around the time as well that I was really doing a lot of research um, and I started doing like social impact consulting, meaning like how do, how are our decisions affecting, you know, the economic mobility of the individuals around us? And that then led me to like, okay, like I think I can still be in this play of doing like short or maybe midterm rentals, but I'm doing rentals for good, not just like, hey, I'm going to rent to the person who's coming in from vacation and they willing to pay the highest dollar every single time. Nothing wrong with it. But for me, it was just a matter of like, okay, I think I want to approach this a little differently, especially at the point that I was, of I was really becoming a thought leader in the industry of short-term rentals for especially people of color. And with that, those those are the very same people that were being, you know, disproportionately affected by this housing crisis that we found ourselves in. I love that. I love that. Now, one question I have for you with you making that switch, because I know you said it started off with college students and now you kind of using a social impact. How are you finding your clientele, your midterm rental clientele? So universities, there are literally a heavy concentration of universities here within the city perimeters of Atlanta. Um, so I pretty much reach out directly to those universities. I have people who either attend the universities um, and they send out messages. They'll send out blasts to the students. I prefer graduate students, medical students, Morehouse medical students is where it's at. That's typically where I get most of mine. Um, but it's perfect because, again, it's like they got the income to to do it right. And on top of that, it's like it's not a 
it's not a ton because like they there to study and sleep for the most part. Like they're not really partying anymore. Undergrad is where you get the parties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they about the business because you're paying a lot of money for school. <laughs> now, now one one thing I always hear, you know, people are, are afraid to rent to college students because of the partying, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, do you make the the parents uh be part of the lease just so like if something happens, I mean it's gonna go on their credit and it's not gonna, you know, the kids are like, ah, they don't really care about credit at a young age or how does that work? Um, for me, no. Again, I focus I don't I don't rent to undergraduate students. I rent to graduate students and more specifically, okay. these are medical students. So number one, they're a bit older. And then number two, they have a little more sense of responsibility. So no, like I don't I don't get the parents involved at all because at this point you're over twenty one. Um, and at, most of them are nearing 25, if not past 25 already. So it just, it didn't make sense to me. Wow. So how do you set up your places to cater to your, um, your avatar, these medical professionals that didn't need a, a great place to sleep and study? How do you, how do you set up your places? Mm-hmm. Um, number one, making sure it's quiet. Blackout curtains are, you know, your best friend, <laughs> especially if you're catering to any type of working professional. Um, number two, for me, especially when they are either working or they're like in school, medical school or what have you, um, I found that I actually preferred rather than renting a large space, because um, for me, I had houses as well, right? So rather than renting a three bedroom, two and a half bathroom house to just one working medical professional, I'm able to separate that out into, hey, these are three private suites. Each of you have your own bathroom area. And then at that point, it's like you're amongst like you're cre- you're you're coming to this new city already where you're looking for a community of people. So I'm putting you in place for that community of people. But then also it's like these are like-minded people as well that they typically are on the same schedule as you. So for me, switching over to renting out um like individual suites within the units that I had was a game changer for this particular population because it allows you to if you're wanting to provide like more affordable housing, still provide that affordable like rental, but be able to turn a really good profit because again, you're renting each room out separately um, at a particular cost rather than just the whole home. Mm. Now, question I have for you. So like, you know, I've heard of people written to like nurses, like, you know, and they're in a certain proximity from like the hospital. How far Mm -hmm. is your places from these universities to make it more appealing to your clientele? 100% 100% that's a great question we're 12 minutes from downtown 12 minutes from central downtown um we're about 13 minutes from Morehouse we are only maybe 15 minutes from Georgia Tech Georgia State is downtown so that's 12 minutes away like it's it's prime um and yeah. I think that was what really worked for us as well as like the location like location location people don't want to commute and that's what a lot of number one like these students were having to do but number two these traveling professionals like they don't they don't want to have to do that, but because of the affordability of it all, they had to. So coming into the market and providing something that's more affordable, but I'm also coming in saying like, hey, you only going to have maybe a 12 to 15 minute commute. Like it, it was a game changer. It was a no brainer. Man, I love that. I didn't even realize. And I forgot it's so many universities down there. You can cater into like it's, five, six universities. Exactly. Like it's, it's so because I don't I don't know if Atlanta is like one of those cities that has the most. But again, like there are a lot. It's a high concentration of like you got Spelman, you got Morehouse, you got Clark Atlanta right there. Then you got Georgia State. Then you got Georgia Tech. Like you there's there's a ton to, to cater to SCAD as well. Like yeah, it just made sense. Like when I saw that, like as a marketer, like traditionally my background is in marketing. 
Mm-hmm. It only made sense. It only uh, made sense. That's awesome. I got into Clark Atlanta, by the way. I ne- didn't go, but I. <laughs> but you got a plug. You got in. <laughs> I got in, but I didn't go. Go ahead. Now, now, do you do you um, separate the houses as much as like, okay, this house is just for men, and this other house is just for women, or do you mix them? I mix them. I okay. mix them actually. And and when I initially, so I initially thought that that would be more of an issue than it actually is, but. It's not like mixing them has been fairly like fairly good. Um, I've had maybe one or two people like reach out like, okay, I might have some reservations, but once they actually meet the people and they see how we have it set up, they don't mind either. Mm, no, yeah, so what are your units here? Because you said you break you break most of them up by room so you can get the max amount, you know, the max for them. Exactly. Now, do you own or do you arbitrage? Both. Both. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah. No. So I own arbitrage. So I own two and then I arbitrage one. Okay. And then the ones you arbitrage, do you break those up as well? Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay. No, no, because again, to me, like this is the after after three years of having a number of units, renting them as whole units to people, and then even furthermore renting them to like the travelers, the vacationers. Like I wanted something completely different. And this was like my completely different thing of like, okay, I can rent these out by room. These are midterm rentals, meaning like this isn't necessarily a 12 month lease, but like they're students. So they might be like a six, maybe nine month. Um, And yes, like absolutely. It just just made sense. And I don't personally for me, I don't think I I will go back um, to the other end, like to the other end of just renting holy, unless it's like a long-term rental. Like I'm renting to some family, you know? Okay. And then the biggest question I really wanted to get to you about was the tiny home in the backyard. Yeah. How did you come up with that concept? You So kind of explain to us what you did because you have basically two houses on one lot, right? Exactly. Two houses on one lot. So you're maximizing, um, you know, the existing lot space that you have. For the most part, this idea came to me um, during the, this was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I was back in the principal structure on that particular property. So I was back in that primary structure um, because I was no longer traveling for work. All of the bookings for Airbnb had been canceled. If you remember March, 2020, they canceled everything. Mm. Um, And at that point, like I'm back in my house or this house that is like my first property. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to pay this this mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) And I need, and I also, I also didn't want to, compromise my health or risk my health by okay well maybe I can just house hack it because it's just me here and you know I'll rent the other rooms out again I don't know what these people like where they're coming from what's happening this is at the beginning stages of COVID so I was I believe I was in my kitchen I look out the window and I'm like it's some space back there and I knew I wanted to do something with it initially it was like maybe a pool then I'm like nah that's not going no <laughs> um and this is also around the time that like you know these HGTV shows around like tiny homes and converting school buses into houses and all of that was really gaining a lot of traction and people were on YouTube just looking up things around tiny houses and I'm like yeah I think like I think that's the play like I'll build a tiny house back there and then initially when we started building it like the whole idea of it was for it to be for me. Um, it wasn't until we got halfway through the build, um, some hiccups with a number of different contractors. We ended up being over budget more than we had anticipated. And I made the decision to say like, all right, like 
we're going to rent this out to turn like get that ROI back quickly rather than me just staying in there because especially again it's like tiny homes were becoming super popular people wanted to experience one for themselves and honestly it ended up being like that was my most popular it is was because I don't rent it anymore I now live there um but um it was my most popular listing um people loved it honestly okay now what made you move okay so you moved into your backyard and then you rent out the front space exactly exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so you rented out by room yeah okay how did you come to that decision to move in yeah um, I mean, honestly, so number one, it was the top of this year. So I just moved in like the top of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a matter of my lease at my other place was ending. And I've known for a while that it's like, okay, I want to do some like heavy traveling, like some digital nomad type stuff or like live out the country for like six months. So this was a way for me to like say, okay, let me not go and sign a 12 month lease because I don't want to do that. Like I'm planning for some travel. And then number two, I can also save some of my cash so that I can do those travels and enjoy myself even more. So it just works because it allows me to be in and out without like a burden of a $1,500 rent or something else hanging over my head. So even for like the month of May, I'm going to be out in Mexico City from like May to the beginning of June. Nice, nice. That sounds awesome. Um, So how did you become famous? You, you, you TED talks. <laughs> talk about your TED talk first, because I saw that on your thing. How was that? Number one, am I famous? Is that what it is? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Micah said you're the CNBC gal. So, yeah, you're yeah, famous. Yeah, I've had a lot of features at this point. Um, they're, they're coming in hot, coming in quick. Um, <laughs> so, the TED talk came about last year. So, last June or July. Um, again, after I had shifted from short-term rentals to like mid-term rentals. This is also when I began building or like started the concept for this new startup that I'm currently working on, which is called Landrift. Um, And Landrift is pretty much, it's completely tied into this piece around tiny homes, um, which are formerly known as ADUs. They're accessory dwelling units. Many people don't actually know the term, but that's the term. Tiny home is something different, but that's what we use because that's what people know. Um, but Landrift had came about and this was pretty much a way after I had documented the whole thing, we released the docuseries, it's gaining traction, like people are asking questions, they're reaching out. Uh, I started to realize that there are so many homeowners who don't realize that this is a possibility for them or they didn't even think about it. Like they didn't even think like, well, dang, I, I do have that. I do have a lot of space in my backyard or even the ones that are like, my family's sitting on acres upon acres. And I, you know, the thought crossed my mind to build a small community, but I just never really knew, like I didn't, I've never seen it happen. So that's when Landrift came about um, as a way to number one, increase awareness and education and resources around um, providing urban homeowners with you know, the process and the knowledge that they need to actually do something like this and get into the ADU game to number one, build equity, build wealth, um, number two, earn some rental income. And then number three, you also have the opportunity to like house, you know, family members that might be a little vulnerable as well. Mm-hmm. So at the time last year, um, that concept came about, I was starting to build it. I didn't necessarily know how I wanted it to look, but I began pitching um, at like local business events and networking events and all of that. And I was at a spot called Atlanta Tech Village. They had like a pitch Friday where I pretty much pitched like Landris. I pitched what I wanted to do and how I wanted to help homeowners 
um, put tiny homes in their backyard to pretty much help offset the housing crisis. And it just so happened that the TEDx Atlanta um, organizer was sitting in the audience. And after hearing the pitch, she's like, okay, yes, like I need you on stage. This is an amazing idea. Um, and from there, I would say like the rest is history. And I started it um, for years. I would be honest with you. I speak professionally. I speak as like I get paid and all of that. Um, and I've done it for years on a number of different topics. But so I always wanted to do a TED Talk. Um, but never in my never in my days would I have imagined it would be about housing and tiny homes. Wow. Um, never, awesome. never would I would have imagined. So, yeah. You can't predict the future, man. Uh, no, you can't. You cannot. Like I didn't. Even, I I was like I was not planning to even like I'm gonna become a real a real estate professional. Like I'm gonna become like a real estate investor. That wasn't a plan. It was just like I'm gonna buy a house and I think it's pretty cool, you know. And I'm gonna just tell again, document my process and tell other people about it. Like tell them the story, sing the gospel of it, and just from there, like everything else started rolling, and that really became the catalyst for me being able to go full-time into entrepreneurship this june would be two years so what, what i'm go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Steve, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so, so what i'm um what i'm hearing it's like a, to a total like knowledge bomb in, in a way because because what i'm realizing is maybe the government can't figure out how to do how to how to <laughs> how to do the housing sort of you know solve the housing problem solve the homelessness maybe it takes an entrepreneur that's the point. Exactly. Like Landrift, we are really like wanting to work on a grassroots level because we've been doing it the same way for years. And the person who is most, I would say, affected, who's most important in the equation of talking about housing and real estate is often forgotten, which is the homeowner, the community member, people who are actually out on the ground. They bring in the developers, they'll bring in the nonprofits to advocate for it, we'll bring in the city council people, but it's really the actual residents that are in on that conversation in terms of what it looks like and what they can actually do um, within their city. So honestly, it was like a conglomerate of things that came together. I started thinking about, um, even in particularly the Black community, how we tend to think about real estate investing as well. We have these phrases and these terms, you know, like buy back the block and we gonna do this and you don't wanna sell grandma's house. But we never talk about on a practical level what does that really mean? Because I also, um, I read some work and she has some amazing TED Talks as well. Her name is Majora Carter. Um, she's like an urban, I think like she calls it like revitalizationist. Um, either way, just crazy, amazing story. But she has this premise around, um, you know, you don't have to leave your community to find a better one. Like in for so long in the in the in the 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 black community, you're like how successful you are is almost determined by how far you get away from where you're from. Mm. So I'm from Chicago, but it's like, oh, but I'm in Atlanta now. This would be a completely different conversation if I was in Chicago and I was I, I'm from Chicago and I'm in Chicago and it'd be like, oh, well, damn, like, did you kind of like, did you make it out when it's like it shouldn't be a question like that? Mm. I should be able to stay within my own community and build it up and revitalize that and be able to, you know, reap the benefits of it rather than going to a different community or being there. And now I'm pushed out by different populations. Mm. And you just said a whole mouthful right there of game <laughs> bars. And while, before we hopped on the cast, I told you I seen you because mm -hmm. my mentor posted you. And yeah. mentor actually, what you just said is what she went through. She uh, she built a 50-something-odd community home mm -hmm. in Little Rock, Arkansas. Her name's Pam Brown Courtney. You might know her. 
Um, She built like 50 some homes. But the reason she built those 50 something homes was because she moved out to the Heights, right? Where this, Mm -hmm. not too many of us are out there, not too many black people out there. And so Mm -hmm. she just felt unwanted. Like people just didn't really treat her fair. So she said, forget it. I'm just build my own community of houses. And she she built a 50 something house community and she rents it to all the people who can afford to live there that are there Mm -hmm. locally. And she helps mm-hmm. them out, man. So now I'm very happy you men- mentioned that. And I'm also, one thing I want the listeners to grab is you said you never had had any plans of becoming a real estate investor. You mm-hmm. came one by just simply buying a house. And that is why I tell people, just try something. It's like at the beginning of Steve talked about us starting this podcast. We just tried it, right? But look at the doors that this podcast is open for us. We can do speaking engagements. People invite us places. We'd have been the top of Sean's penthouse, all types of crazy stuff. But it's just because we put our documented that journey. So yeah, try new things, y'all. And that that was a whole bar she just dropped. Thank you for that. I know Steve yeah. has questions, but go go ahead. Okay. One thing, see, one thing. Okay, we're trying to balance the government with entrepreneurs with with housing. Okay, one thing I, I a question that that I, I'm thinking of is: Were there any laws against people building ADUs in their backyards? Of course, of course, of course. Traditionally, like everything else in this country, what is it rooted in? Like, <laughs> so absolutely. Like, yes, there were laws that were preventing that. Um, and even furthermore, like different what it's called, um, like exclusionary zoning policies that are making it to where we're prioritizing this same thing just because it's been like that. And that's how we started it. We think that that's just how it has to be. Um, and I think it dates all the way back to like, you know, this like what we deem. I talk about this in the TED talk as well is like the American dream of, oh, you know, you, you want the single family house with the family, with the car, with the, with the white picket fence. And you want, you know, the big yard so the dog can run around in when, okay, when we were focused very much on like having, you know, your traditional, I guess, nuclear family, that made sense. But people are marrying later. Um, People are staying single because they just realize a lot more things. We have seniors who they have these houses that they've been in for years and now they're not even able to properly take care of themselves and move around as much as they need to because they're stuck within this particular or this one type of housing rather than really designing housing in a way where it's like, it shouldn't be a matter of in my community, it's all the same type of people who need the same type of things who are making the same amount of money. So when we're looking at like how policies have been affecting or like even like the laws around all of this, um, a term that people tend to, I guess, use or two terms that I think would be very helpful, especially for, I don't even like to say, because I think you mentioned um, Micah as well, like you're a real estate invest, like the moment that you, you're in your community, like you need to just be thinking about yourself as like a real estate investor, like you have stake in everything that's going on around you. Um, and the whole mission with Landrip is like, how can we create the next generation of socially conscious real estate investors? Not just the real estate investors that are focused on individualism, but collectivism as a whole. Um, so when we're looking at the like the policies around it, it's really very much focused on like the individual. It's focused on like, okay, what we've traditionally done, exclusionary zoning policies, having the same type of people within your area. And if it's anything else, then that's just it. Um, this like idolization of suburbia and like, you know, once you really make it and you really get what you need to, it's like, okay, I'm gonna go buy a house out in the burbs. Like that's, that's what we think about. 
but that's mm. not necessarily like what it needs to be. So two two terms or two phrases that are super important right now are number one, like increased density, meaning how can we create more housing in the areas that you know we already have developed, like increasing that density there to have more homes. And then even furthermore, um, missing middle housing. Middle housing being not just like, okay, everything that's in between like, okay, a super large apartment building and a single family home. So you can have like a duplex, a triplex, like a cottage court, like all of those things are super important. Again, to like, not just, we're not just building houses, but we're building community because community is then what leads to this, this upward economic mobility, upward social mobility. All of it is connected. Your housing is connected to how, you know, your kids are going to receive an education, which is connected to the types of jobs you're going to be able to access. Yep. I, man, I'm loving this. Um, I'm going to give you two people. I need to make sure you, you need to go and on <laughs> follow. Make sure you're following Chris Senegal and Pam Brown Courtney. Yes. Is that gonna look? I'm following Chris. Yeah, you, that's my boy. <laughs> yes, I follow Chris. Oh, yeah, follow Chris. But what you're talking about is is very very important because, like how you said, people fall in love with suburbia. I'm gonna show you. Okay, so right now I'm buying this house. It was a little too far. It's in the hood, right? And I okay. I revamped it or whatever. And then I started noticing. Now this place next to me, the the place next to me, these other investors start buying it, right? So I'm like, hmm, I'm like, but they of course they don't look like us. So what happens is I'm starting to notice like back in the day, this is in Little Rock, Arkansas, back in the day, all, you know, when black people start really flooding Little Rock, which, you know, they start flooding it, man, these people start moving out to like the burbs, like white people move out to the burbs, like out to these places called Benton Bryant. Like my dad's first house was like in the middle of the, you know, it was all white people around him, right? When he first bought it. Now it's straight up hood. But what happened was the reason why people need to start holding on to the land, especially African-Americans, Hispanics hold on to the land is because when you start moving out to the suburbs, what happens is you have this thing called white flight. So those Mm -hmm. people bought those houses out in the suburbs, they go and regentrify what was just the hood and now they build it back up. So I'm sitting here like, and I'm really on the verge. I'm like, man, should I sell this house? I'm like, it's still new, but I'm like, this dude next door just bought the house, bought a house and tore it down. I'm like, Hmm. So I might have to sit on it, but yeah, man, that, that is very important to like hold on to it because what it's all it, it turns into a full circle if you don't hold on to it. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. And like, again, like I think that that's something that Atlanta has been really trying to tackle a lot of cities actually, because they're now starting to think about it. And I think COVID and the pandemic kind of accelerated that as well because now we're working from home and people don't necessarily need to be in the city. So now it's like, okay, let me go buy a house or let me go further away because I'm working from home. Um, but Atlanta and you know a number of other cities at this point as well, are they're, they're beginning to focus on efforts of, okay, how can we decrease this legacy resident displacement? Meaning these people that have lived in and they're truly, you know, Atlanta bred has been here for years because Atlanta got a whole lot of transplants that are changing the dynamic of the city. But it's like, how do we make sure that the people that have been here, we're not pushing them out 45 minutes to an hour outside of the city and where they need to work and where the good school systems are and all of that. So, yeah, no, all, all connected and absolutely like we need to hold on to our land and not just sell grandma's house or go and sell those acres to the developer that's coming and giving you a big check. Like really figure out the incentives that you can take advantage of within your city to go ahead and like build what you want. Like all of us have the have the ability to at the very least, you don't have to go and build like a huge apartment building, but you can be what's called um, a small scale developer. 
whether that's just you, you know, developing something within your backyard, that's you, you know, repurposing that empty lot that's on the end of your block. Like um, one of my mentors, his name is Arjon Anderson. Um, he's a part of a bunch of stuff, but he's just done some amazing things. But what he likes to say is like, you know, choose a community and develop that. Like, look at your, 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 your project is the community. It's not just the house or the property. Your project is the community. And when you look at it like that, it's like, it's going to continuously reap benefits, reap dividends. No, I'll go ahead, Oh, I was going to say real quick, two more people to follow. Al Williamson, you know Al? I do not. Okay, yeah, he's, he's big mm -hmm. time into this and to uh, improving the block. What what is what does he say? Um, own the block? I, what is Al Williamson He say? probably said own the block is probably what he was doing. Yeah, he builds, yeah, he, he, he builds... Uh, hood adjacent, I guess, and he just you know keeps yeah he he works his way the... back into it yeah into to the to that area so he keeps it yeah yeah mm -hmm. and he and um also Todd Baldwin out of um okay. out of Seattle because he's been doing the you know renting by the room forever now and, and mm -hmm. he's and he's makes way more money doing renting by the room like you do than renting mm -hmm. the whole space out for one price yeah. Mm -hmm. One question I did have for you because you said there were laws about building the ADUs. Um, mm -hmm. like, and I know, and I'm wondering, like, did y'all, did the city, cause I know the city of Atlanta is now recognizing ADUs and you can build in the mm -hmm. backyard. How did you mm -hmm. guys make that push? Because I would like to see that push made in Texas. Um, so personally, I didn't have to make the push. It was already there. It was already approved by the time that I was able to like nice. do that. Now what, what, now what Atlanta is doing, or maybe what you're hearing about is they're actually like creating more. I guess, flexibility in terms of, okay, are you able to convert a garage? Like, are you able to like add, add on to your house? Like that's what they're now doing. But before like ADUs have been in certain zones, specific zones, they have already been like ready to go approved. You don't have to do too much other than just pull your permit. But if you are somebody who's like, okay, this isn't necessarily um, approved within my area, you're going to have to go through that process of rezoning. And I think everybody no matter what right like whether or not you're wanting to get into real estate investing and development or not whether or not you are wanting to build an adu or not whether or not you have to go through rezoning or not you need to be attending your city town hall like you need to be going to your city council meetings they're talking about what they want to see in the city they're talking about what you need to be investing in there and once you build those relationships it'll be a lot easier for you to go in and understand how you're able to I guess, pitch rezoning um, or, you know, a, a rewriting of the zoning code for um, a particular address or a particular area. And Real then on top of that, that's all you wish you meet people. That's where you meet your community <laughs> people, because typically it's a lot easier to change some zoning if it's more, more than one of you who are wanting to do it. Steve, didn't I just say at the last meetup? What did I tell people? You got to go to the planning and zoning commission, man. That's where everything going down. Go ahead, Steve. That that that's so true because what we talked about it on the show before when we were involved in the and okay Arlington Texas was gonna ban Airbnbs that was a big thing right and over there by mm -hmm. Jerry's the you know the Dallas Cowboys Jerry Jones started bringing in hotels and they started canceling us right and so we were started going for the first time in my life you know I went to those uh, city council meetings and then I mm -hmm. and Micah was going and a bunch of us were going and it was like. Wow, most of the people there were older, you know, older people that were going to these meetings all the time. Yep. And, and over there, it was, it was white. <laughs> it was older white of people. And, and they were going to the meetings. They knew all the council people by name. 
And they mm-hmm. were the ones that was like, man, these are the people that are guiding our city. Not that, the that are driving the voice. Exactly. That, literally. And they're not even going to be here to see the choices and the decisions that they're making, they're voting on. They're not going to be here to see it. But yet they're the ones that are the loudest in the room that are making the most impact. And then it's, again, all of this is by design. It's no surprise, right? That typically these meetings are taking place, what, on a Tuesday at 3 p.m.? Who the hell? <laughs> who the hell? But those people have time. I said that. See, it's funny. I said that. So when they were talking about banning it in Dallas, right? They would hold these meetings at like eight o'clock in the morning on a Monday. I'm like, oh, are you about to get this? Ain't no a, representation of the city. <laughs> it's someone who has no nothing else to do but that, and it's like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do this. Like, this. no, that's great. Not in my not in my backyard. Yeah. Hello. And yeah. and that's and, and when you when you said that is a revelation about the midterm because yeah you'll see mm-hmm. apartment complexes big giant you know apartment complex pop up and single mm-hmm. families but in the middle nobody wants duplexes and triplexes and quadplexes mm-hmm. and you know in most suburban neighborhoods they don't exactly. want them or they'll push them all the way to the bad part of town you know what I'm saying yep. and I'm like but there's a need for that. I mean, there's, like you said, there's people that don't need a giant three or four or five bedroom house with all, if they're mm-hmm. living by themselves, you know, yep. a young professional, they just need a, a, you know, maybe a duplex is fine for them. Exactly. But, but um, yeah, yeah. So I see that there's, there is a, there is a need for that middle housing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, man, this is good stuff. Good stuff. So CNBC. So th- how did you get on the CNBC? Um, documenting the process, they reached out on Instagram, they ran across my YouTube channel, um, which if you don't subscribe to me on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to me on YouTube. Um, that's where you can see a whole bunch of tiny house content. Um, I, I say a whole bunch of Lucy, but you can see a good amount, <laughs> a lot of the features and all of that. Um, but yeah, they ran across the docuseries on YouTube and they were just looking for, um, you know, thought leaders in the space, um, who were, doing this who knew the process and yeah so now i serve as a content contributor with them as well on all things adus and tiny homes wow Uh, that's awesome so by documenting the process so one question i have for you so you've done what most americans are trying to do eliminated the living expense by house hacking right so with you being a real estate investor house hacker what are your what are your goals just as far as besides your tech company what are your goals as far as expanding in the real estate space because it sounds like you have a social passion behind it too mm-hmm. um i mean expanding in the real estate space honestly i i just want to keep buying doors and keep providing housing for the people that need it that's it like i'm not i if you asked me the same question maybe 3 years ago i would have told you i need at least 15 doors every single year. I'm getting what I need. Like I'm padding. It was about me, right? Like I, again, like we we learn real estate in a way of like, I, I, I reference this a lot with Landriff as well as like, especially with people of color. We learned it. I learned it for the most part, like basic monopoly. And the point of monopoly is like, you want to get all the money. You want to get all the houses for you. And that's what you do. Um. So yeah, like, no, I my my goal at this point is like I'm I might buy I I at least want to begin buying a house or two every year. Um, and at this point, I will say like for those that are looking to invest, um, the one piece that I did not think about when I was choosing my time and my lifestyle freedom by going into entrepreneurship was the the beauty of that W two, um, and being able to go ahead and 
and easily get in um, and get the houses and the real estate that you need. Not to say that it isn't possible, um, but there are a couple more hurdles that you just need to jump through when you're doing that. So for me, it's really just a matter of like continuing to build what I what I need to build, continuing to acquire more properties. Um, but I'm not doing it at a rate. I don't want to do it at a rate of like, okay, I need this by 30 or whatever. It's like my a lot of my goals um, in real estate included have become far less about like, like the tasks that I need to scratch off of my to-do list or, you know, the the things that I need to do. And it's becoming far more about like, my goal is, you know, ultimately who, who can I become? Not what can I do, but who can I become? And yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. So I, I, I want more freedom. I want to be able to travel even more than I already have. Um, and yeah, like overall, just be a good person and make, make impact on an everyday level. It doesn't have to be through, you know, being the next millionaire, Jeff Bezos. I love that. you. I just got to reading the book, Awaken the Giant Within. And he said, write down your goals and then ask yourself, who do I have to come become to be that? In order to get that. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Now with, with you, you still are trying to buy a house or two a year. Are you going to be doing all midterms or are you going to maybe mm-hmm. like branch out into maybe section eight? How, how, what are you looking at? I don't know. I would absolutely be open to branching out into section eight, but right now it's like, I want, I, I want to take everything that I'm doing from an ass because it may not be one or two a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Because even with one of the properties that I have right now, um, what I'm looking into is adding on like an addition to the house. So basically like an added attached guest suite. So then at that point, this is the same house that I have the tiny house at. So at that point you would have the tiny house, you have the primary structure, and then you have this separate guest suite that's attached to the main home. Mm-hmm. And my overall, um, I would say goal again is to show people how can you really maximize your existing space, maximize your existing lot space to create that that life that you want, you know, that real estate portfolio that you want, because even that is still, you know, like it's a small portfolio, but it's a portfolio nonetheless. Um, and you're still able to provide housing to those that need it. Um, so it could very well be like another property, but for this year, like my goal is tackling adding that, um, adding that attached guest suite to that property. That is my goal this year. That's Al Williamson is big on that, right? Maximize mm-hmm. the house, you know, every single bedroom, get another bedroom in there, get another bathroom, you know, just keep adding and adding, maximize it and then get another one. That's exactly. really good. Um, opportunity zones. Are you investing in opportunity zones? Um, I mean, yeah, but not official. Like I've heard about opportunity zones before. I've researched them a bit, but in terms of intentionally investing in opportunity zones, not right now. Not in not right now in my real estate journey, no. Okay, cool, cool. So mm-hmm. um man, this has been a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Come on and killed it. Um yeah, Ma- Micah asked my question about section eight, but you're not really getting into that yet. Um, mm-hmm. you, you found you found uh, your target avatar mm-hmm. and you're catered, catering to them and it's working out great. So yeah, why mm-hmm. why change it up right now? You know, maybe in the future, mm-hmm. try something different. But I, I, I exactly. like that. No, because we always, especially when you're, um, it, it's easy to think about that when you're in the real estate industry, but, industry, but even more so when you are just an entrepreneur as a whole, like we're always focused on, um, you know, what's next, what's next, what's the plan? And I've, um, I stepped into, I would say maybe like within the last year or two, I've really stepped into like, okay, rather than focusing on what's next, let me focus on what's happening right now. Um, and again, like how do I maximize my now? Because when you're constantly like, especially after the pandemic for me, I started to, um, mental and emotional health was just deteriorating, burnout, all of that. 
And when I started doing more research on it um, and reading more books, I found that it was because I, I always said, like, I'm a very future oriented person. Like, I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm always thinking about the goal. But the problem is that when you do something like that, your mind is in the future, but your body is in the now and it creates a gap. Mm-hmm. where you're always feeling like you're having to like strive after something, go after something else rather than putting your mind or, you know, every now and again, bring, being able to bring your mind back to the now and say like, okay, let me just bask in this right now because I'm going to be honest with you, especially when I, I do a lot of these podcasts at this point. Um, and the last question is always like, oh, well, what's next? Let's celebrate what's happening right now. Like I didn't got some features, you know, I didn't got, I didn't need a TED talk just six months ago. Like it's, like, you know, I'm just, like, I'm not focused on what's next right now. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to bask in this because I've always been focused on what's next. Um, and not to say that it isn't on my mind, but I got to, we really have to start basking in our excellence that's happening right now, rather than something that, you know, is arbitrary in the future. I, I usually don't ask a woman her age, but how old are you? You seem young. <laughs> I'm, I just turned 27 two weeks ago. You're young. Okay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. One thing I will tell you that is huge. And by the way, one book to read is The Gap in the Gain. That's a really good book about the gap in the gain. Yeah, about living in the gain instead of living in the gap. Uh, but yeah. one good thing that I do every morning, because you pointed it out, and I tell people to do this all the time, and it'll just make your day better. Just write mm-hmm. out three things. I, I call it GEM. a GEM. Yep. I call it be write out what you're grateful for, what you're going to experience, and what you're manifesting. So then you're not always fo- focused on the future. You can focus on right now your current day, and then you can focus on what you are going to attain. And then it'll start attracting to you. My mentor taught me that. He said, you got, instead of always trying to grind it out for what you want, grind for this, grind for that, just align with what you want and it'll come to you. So yeah, every day, that's all I do. I have just pages and pages of just writing that out every day, just going through what I'm grateful for. That will help anybody, especially if you're going through anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. 100%. Yo, 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 top three, your top three. Great. Starting your day with that. Not with your to-do list, but Hey, what am I, what am I grateful for? Because it allows you to operate from a mindset of abundance rather than a mindset of lack. What have I not done rather than what have I done? And what do I have? Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. So, so what would you like a young person, you know, just graduating from high school or college, you know, if, if they chose to go to college now it's, you know, being less and less a, an automatic yeah. thing you got to do. Um, yeah. And they're getting out into the work world and getting their credit together. What do you mm-hmm. suggest? Uh, should they start investing in real estate right away? What do you suggest? What they, should they buy? How, how should they do it? Mm, I would say I wouldn't even focus on starting to, I guess, invest in real estate because you can house hack with an apartment or something. So I would say focus on like, if you're a young person, focus on eliminating your living expense and getting in that mindset of not paying monthly as much as we do for living, right? That's what I would say. Like, don't necessarily like, okay, immediately go out and I got to start flipping or wholesaling and doing whatever. It's like, no, how start at a very basic level, right? At a baseline question of how can I get rid of my housing expense every month? Whether that's like, letting somebody sleep on the couch. Like I have a friend when I first got into Airbnb, um, this is my homie to this day. And I remember this was 2017, 2018. He had a one bedroom apartment and he apartment and he was written out an air mattress on Airbnb. And that was paying his whole rent. And then that's what like he now invests in Houston. He got another he got a townhouse and he got a duplex and he buying land and all of it. But it all started with that one again, that mindset of like how can I get rid 
of this housing expense. So that is what I would say. That would be my recommendation. Like if you're if you're doing anything as like a young person wanting to get started with this, like because that's going to allow you the cash flow to invest somewhere else. Like if your cash flow is tied up at least fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars every month, if not more. It, it's just, yeah, no, it, do, it doesn't make sense. I think you need to focus on how do you eliminate the housing expense. I, I love that. Decreasing expenses is increasing income. People sometimes forget that. Absolutely. And that reminds me of like, you know, you listen to Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I okay. So the guys on there, the guys on there, I always say, um, you know, or or one of their shows, but like people focus on, oh, you know, I got to cut out the, 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 the Starbucks or I got to cut out you know, this, this little payment here, you know, start, he goes, you're focusing on the wrong expenses. That ain't going to make, I mean, it's a little bit, but it's not going to make a dent. You got to find oh, a way yeah. to eliminate that housing cost or that <laughs> car, that giant, that car expense, you know, or these exactly. big expenses, turn the car into a Turo, turn the house into an Airbnb, Airbnb out the bedrooms, live for free, focus on those first. And then you can start, you know, worrying about the little bitty expenses exactly. here and there. Right. 100%. <laughs> so okay that's cool so like okay also a lot of our a lot of our listeners you know they're mm-hmm. into the space they're getting into short-term rentals they're getting into midterm rentals is real big right now now mm-hmm. um how would you suggest what what are the steps to go get your voice out there and start documenting your process mm-hmm. i mean social media like it's at, it's at your fingertips now. Like when I first was, you know, I'm, I'm young, but I ain't that young. So when I was first getting started, you know, it wasn't, you know, your TikToks and all, like it was one, you had YouTube and you probably had Instagram and Facebook, of course. Um, those were the top three. So I would really just say like, if you're looking, if you're a young person, you're looking to begin documenting what your process looks like, literally just start like, don't overthink it. Don't think that you have to go and you have to create a whole docu-series around something like, I had been creating content for years and I was ready to create a docu-series and produce all of that. Um, but at the beginning, it was really just like recording myself in meetings, like having that camera up. And it's just like, even if you're not talking to the camera, cause that's not something that you want to do, just record yourself right there. And pe- we're in the era where attention is everything and people want to know all of your business and what you're doing and how you spending your time. Mm-hmm. So use, use it to your advantage, like had a camera propped up and then, you know, Again, don't look at it from an aspect of, at least in the beginning, of I have to teach these people something. Like, of course, you want to bring some type of value, and that value could just be from you being you and you operating in this space, and you're just showing them what's happening. But don't take it from an aspect of trying to teach something, because I find, especially with, like, I, I do, like, brand brand and marketing workshops as well for, for folks. And people tend to overthink content when they feel like, well, okay, well, what am I going to teach them today? And what am I going to teach them? No, just tell people about your day and they're going to be able to extract whatever lesson that they take from it. That's deep. So I just, I just say like, just, just start recording. That's it. And even if you're not recording, um, start journaling. I started journaling like over 10 years ago. Mm. And that was a lot, like, that was a lot of the starter content for me. And even if like, you know, the documenting doesn't have to be for other people. Of course, eventually you want to get it there, but a good way to begin doing anything is really like starting to journal because that's documenting your day to day. That's documenting your thoughts, your emotions. Um, and then at that point, that's something that you can look back on and it'll probably spark some really good content later down the line. Mm. Journal is powerful. I agree with that. What was one of your biggest um, viewed like videos or social posts or something like that? You wouldn't expect it. You're like, wow, it got a lot of hits for some reason. 
Oh my goodness. This is a hard one. Um, because I've gotten uh one that I didn't necessarily expect to get as much traffic as it did um was a post that I made on my birthday last year, it was my 26th birthday, and it was like, okay, here are three things that I um, you know, I learned in my first 25 years that I'm taking into my 26th year. Um, and number one, I'm looking at it right now because it was insane. It got like 50,000 views, almost like a million. Like it, it's it, it was insane. This one is on Instagram, and the most viewed one on YouTube, I would say, um, is likely, I believe, the CNBC interview. Um, but this one in the post, like lessons I learned, it's like, okay, to be happy. Number one, to be happy, I have to actively choose happiness. Um, number two is no is a complete sentence, and number three slow down i am a human human being not a human doing mm. <laughs> mm. love that that is really cool yeah um choose to be happy i like that mm. how, how do you yeah, how do you it. how do you choose to be happy what see here's the thing um <laughs> i guess so people that are like on the news, the cameras shoved in front of them and screaming for, you know, um, housing, you know, housing is a right, human right. They need this, we need that. Government needs to do something. This They don't seem too happy. But you are doing a lot of good and, and you're being happy. How does that work? I mean, I think it goes back to, again, bringing yourself to the present moment now. In this moment, what am I lacking? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I think that every single second um, that goes by, like, even if I had you know, something happened, somebody almost cut me off on the road or whatever. It's like, that's a bad moment. That's not a bad day. And that's constantly what I bring my mindset back to is like every single second, every new second, every time that clock turns, I get to redefine what's happening. I get to choose. Like a lot of it is really based on our own reactions rather than what's actually happening. Shit happens. That's literally why that's a, a phrase. Shit happens. That's it. But it's like, it's not what's happening. It's how are you reacting to it? That's really the determinant of how you're going to view it and your perception to everything. So for me, it's really just a matter of like choosing it. Like, I'm not going to hold you. This week been crazy for me. Um, it has not been a good week at all. It's probably been one of my worst weeks this year. Um, and that's just like on an emotional level on everything. I'm overwhelmed. But I get on here and it's like, you know, oh, this is the piece that I will say. And I think this will this will help and kind of add it into context. Last year, I really um, wanted to define my purpose and my why. And for me, it's actually my 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 screensaver on my phone. Um, but I'll read it. And I think this will help in terms of seeing how and why I'm able to choose happiness like as much as I do. So my why is really that I believe in the inter interconnectedness of the universe and understand that my actions and my purpose are inextricably tied to someone else's. So it is in my best interest to operate with joy and in alignment so that I can experience a life of least resistance. Mm. When you happy, you just like, I'd, I'd rather, I think I heard someone say, like, I, I'd much rather flow with the water than battle with the rocks. Yes. If you're looking at more of a creek. I like that. Love that. And I bet a lot goes into, like you said, and on your second thing was no is a complete sentence. And, and what do you mean by that? I mean, say no. Like I, I for so long was a person that is like I didn't want to tell people no. It's like, oh well, yeah, I can do it, and you're saying yes to things that you know you don't have the capacity for, or you know that may not be like adding the value that you need at the moment. 
Like if it's not adding value, it's a no. Or no is like it doesn't need an explanation because I stepped into and again, first 25 years of life is like it's like selfish isn't selfish. Like the the way that we think about like, oh, like prioritizing self, like it all starts with me. And I cannot, I can't give you anything if I ain't gave it to myself yet. So mm-hmm. no is a complete sentence, meaning that I don't have to explain anything. Like if are you able to do this? Nah. You don't even need to know why. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I can't. And that's just it. And it's like, I'm not like, I'm not going to hold you. I'm not like the best with that. Like, cause again, like you can feel like you being rude or something, you know? Um, I'm but, yeah. Got you. The help. You can feel like you're being rude or something Um, sometimes when that happens, but it's like, no, like no, no is a complete sentence. So often we want to explain ourselves after the no, or you want to put a LOL at the end and this. No. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a I'm gonna give you a book my real estate coach recommended to me. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. Read it. Uh-huh. Really good. He he talked about, you know, finding yourself and then knowing how to deal with other people, telling people no, hey, no, you know, it's just what it is, you know. So and then not having to think, oh man, what did I do? It's just no. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really and and that and it, it requires other people to then step into their own you know, being an accountability and responsibility and understand that everything isn't about you. And mm-hmm. I also like have started to understand too, is like how people interact with me on a day-to-day basis typically has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. If you cut me off or I see you like flicking me off on the road, you probably having a bad morning. Like your kids woke up late. You probably ain't getting nothing to eat. Like, you know what? I got a little grace for you. So that's like, that's how you have to operate is like, not like it has nothing to do with me. Like if somebody tells me no, it's like okay, you just don't have the capacity. I'll follow up later. It stop taking things so personal. Like we're all living this life that in all of our lives are just as complicated as the person that you're looking at and you see on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to take that into consideration every single day. Like your problems aren't more, you know, like they aren't heavier than anybody else's. We all carry it different. You, you know. You you look to me like like someone that does like to help people and has been helping people all their all your life and that's great, but I've come to this realization later in life. You you realize it more or earlier because you already said no is a complete sentence and you and you and you live by that. That's one of your things. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. isn't it isn't it miraculous how these people that that you know become to rely on you in a way to solve this problem for them, all of a sudden when you start saying no. Hey, they figured out how to do it by themselves. They didn't need me after all. Isn't that a crazy realization? <laughs> you you had it in you all along. You knew how to do it. You knew you you could you could make it happen for yourself. Like absolutely. And sometimes all people need is that push <laughs> for you. Like your your boundaries, like your boundaries are are for other people, yes, but they're also very well for you too. Like they're for you and they're for other people. So when you set a boundary and you're actually you know sticking to it and holding it, it again it pushes the accountability and the responsibility on that other person. Okay, what you going to do to make that shape? Mm. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. What a show. Thank you so much, Precious, for hopping Mm -hmm. on. We're not going to ask what's next because everybody asks you that. Who knows what's next? You know, who knows what's next? I mean, like you you said, you wanted to be on a TED Talk all your life, and then you didn't know it was going to be you were going to be on there for real estate. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. It just happened. Man, but you put in the work, you put in the hard work, you documented the journey, and, and people are noticing you. We noticed you, and we're so happy that you came on our show. 
Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. Like, um, this was an amazing conversation. I hope that it helps someone. If you are listening and it helps you or anything resonated with you, feel free to reach out to me, send a message. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. I love making new friends. She might say no, but it's only for your own good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I might. I might. Quick thing. Where where can people find you? Um, everywhere. Google Precious <laughs> Price. Um, you you literally just Google Precious Price, but I'm on all platforms. Um, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. Not as much, but you know, like you can go through my tweets. I say some stuff on there too. I drop gems. Um, but I'm I'm literally everywhere. So you can just find me just by Googling Precious Price or just searching on any platform that you like that you typically frequent. You'll likely be able to find some content from me. Awesome. Thank you, Precious. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. See you soon. Peace. That was a good episode, man. She touched on a lot of my uh, a lot of my whys in that episode, man. Just becoming a realist reason why I became an investor. So that was a really good episode. Loved every bit of it. Very, very wise girl for her young age, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very wise, you know. And journaling, if you've been journaling for 10 years, you're going places because I just started journaling and I'm 33, you know, so it's power in that. It's huge power in that for sure. That's that's what I love about this show, man. I mean, as there's so much, uh, I mean, there's so many um, young individuals coming on the show, young minorities, a lot of young minorities, we get all kinds, but mm-hmm. you don't see that too much on the news where how we're portrayed, but there's a lot of good stuff going on too in, in our communities. And, and that's just really, really reassuring, man. I love it so much. Hell yeah, LLT controlled a narrative. Let's go. <laughs> well, so get uh can we promote the master class right now? Or yeah, is, it gonna, is it gonna drop? When is it gonna drop? On the night on the blah, 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 blah. August I'm 8th. Have it I'm sorry. Uh, uh oh. not August 8th. It's gonna drop on the 8th of April. We're gonna have a master class. And me, Micah, Mike Brown, uh, your favorite Argentino. Uh, Federico is going to be on there too. We're going to be talking some midterm. We're going to be talking some uh, short-term rentals too, of course. And uh, we're going to have a nice little program for you. And you can, you know, we'll have some materials for you to download. It's the master class. Look it up on, you know, on our, so go to our Live, Let, Thrive Facebook group or or um, wherever you can find it. You know where to find Live, Let, Thrive, right, Micah? Yes, sir. Find us at... Live Instagram at live, let thrive, live, let thrive at gmail.com. Check out our link tree and our show notes below. Um, that'll have access to our link tree and our masterclass. And yeah, um, hope to see y'all there and thank y'all for continuing to listen. And thank y'all for everybody who came out to the uh, meetup. It was great being able to talk to y'all and, uh, yeah, continue. Uh, thank you for continuing to listen. Remember to leave us a review and subscribe. Yes, sir. See you on the flip. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.